0: Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast, where we look at how researchers can become more productive and use their work to achieve real-world impact. Today's podcast comes from the ARMA 2016 conference. You can uh, probably hear the background noise. I am Uh, standing on the margins of the conference and uh, uh, over the last two days I have been colouring some of the leading thinkers in research impact, uh, both from the research side of things and also from the research management side of things, to find out what they think the future will bring. So let's kick this off uh, with Phil Ward. Uh, you very excitingly won an award last Absolutely. night, an Armour Award. Uh,
1: so tell us a bit more about who you are and uh, what you won this school award for. <laughs> okay, uh, so as you say, I'm Phil Ward, I'm Deputy Director of Research Services at the University of Kent. And I've been there for a decade, and my role has changed over that time. And at the moment, I have oversight of, of research management at the university, but particularly for the pre-award side of things, for the research development side of things. And as part of that, helping people demystify it and make an impact be seen as a positive rather than a negative, rather than um, a challenge, or rather than a hurdle they had to overcome, something positive that could actually add to their research fantastic
0: and I think what you won the award for has has been really instrumental in Helping researchers to reframe this debate and and get motivated and excited about it and to demystify some of this stuff. So, uh, some people might have come across you on Twitter. You got a bit of a cult following there uh, under the name of Frutal. So, That's a great name. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so uh, at Frutal uh, to to follow the tweets. Uh, your uh, your blog where you've been doing this uh, is called Thunder Mentals, So F U N D E R Mentals. Um, tell us a little bit. About
1: what you've been doing. Mm. Well, you're right in that the, the, the purpose of the blog initially was to to help, well, partly to create a sense of community, uh, both at Kent amongst the academics who I help and support, but also more broadly across the UK to help people working in roles such as mine. To, to, to share the pain to a certain extent, but also to to provide some kind of hints and tips from sessions such as you've run at the University of Kent. I might, I might put some kind of just general pointers of things learnt from those sessions. So there's a bit of that. There's a bit of a kind of notice board element to it. But more than anything, I think the most um, popular part of the blog is the bit where I I let off steam and I do kind of comic skits on, on some of the frustrations I have with the research councils or some of the funders whatever comes to mind. And in, in a way, it, it just helps people realize that they're not alone in this, that some of their frustrations are shared across the piece, whether it be dealing with impact or whether it be dealing with the frustrations of the jazz system for, for uh, the research councils the expectations of government, whether it's, you know, Boaty McBoatface or, or whatever, whatever issues are doing there, the, the rounds at the time, I try and cover and give an alternative slant to it. So, so yeah, I've been loving this blog, uh, massive
0: entertainment value as well as being seriously informative. Uh, tell me, uh, through the blog and in other ways, how have you been helping researchers to get to grips with this impact agenda?
1: So, as I say, when, when impact first came on the scene or was first introduced by the research councils as something that people had to take into consideration when they were putting together applications, this was around 2008, and people either acted, reacted with horror and said, actually, you know, how, can, how do I know what the impact of my research is going to be? There's no way I can, I can predict the future. Or they just kind of refused to, 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 to have anything to do with it. And at that point, we decided to, to, to essentially help, as, as, as a general audience, help them possibly identify ways that they, their research could be having impact. So we, we had these, these, these impact surgeries, if you will. If, if people were putting together an application to the research councils and they say, look, I'm working in theoretical physics, I don't have a clue how my research might, might have impact, we'd say, well, just drop us an abstract and, and we'll get together with, with, with colleagues in the research office, colleagues in the, 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 the corporate communications, the press office, people in commercialization, people across the university who have had some exer- experience with working either with end users or with, you know, working with the media, um, or more broadly, just, just, just thinking about um, people outside of the university who might be interested in research. And we got together and and just came up with starting points, pointers for people to start thinking about about their impact. And whether that be, you know, have you thought about um, how you're going to engage with the end users? Is it going to be, you know, have you thought about maybe putting on an exhibition so that people could come along and actually visualise what your research is going to be? Have you thought about having um, stakeholder groups where you talk to people who will either benefit or or potentially... um, uh, be put at a disadvantage by the by, by the research? Have you talked to them about it? Leading on from that, have you thought about, you know, talking to uh, people who produce radio or TV about engaging more with that? This is something that, that, that might be interesting for children or, or as a teaching aid. And, and and that was helpful just to get people started. And we weren't saying, you know, this is a final final solution. This, this isn't the be-all and end-all. But it just helped them to start thinking about impact in a broader broader setting.
2: So I'm James Wilsden, I'm Professor of Research Policy at Sheffield University, uh, and I'm also Director of Impact and Engagement uh, across the Faculty of Social Sciences at Sheffield. I think it's very easy to lose sight of, of the substance at the heart of this agenda for, for reasons that you've written about that, that, that we all know in respect of um, the managerial Uh, logics that attach themselves to these kinds of processes but uh, I think it's absolutely vital that we uh, state and restate uh, and re-emphasize at every turn uh, that uh, impact has to be about uh, substantive material transformative uh, change uh, in society uh, in various ways whether that's working with business with with government with civil society Uh, in your community, at the global scale, wherever the impact occurs, uh, it has to have uh, uh, real uh, outcomes, real meaning attached to it. Uh, And it's the product of often um, long-term, slow-burn, evolving relationships. You know, it it can't be magicked up overnight uh, in order to tick a box or to to fill a uh, page three on on a case study form. Uh, so it's something that you need to think about uh, in a very serious way from the from the very beginning of the research process uh, and build in. And this is where, for me, some of the more exciting things going on in the impact agenda uh, dovetail and, and link to uh, agendas of co-production, of co-design in research, where uh, we're seeing, I think, lots of creative experimentation across the, the UK higher education community, some of which has been, uh, triggered and encouraged and, and strengthened by uh, the formal machinery, if you like, of the impact agenda, but a lot of which has happened anyway and would have happened anyway. Uh, and in a sense, we need to get better at joining those two things together, so that you have the the the, the, the substance of, of co-production uh, feeding in uh, more directly and uh, systematically to the. Uh, capturing and presentation of impact through exercises like the ref through uh, other modes of research uh, evaluation Uh, and i think lots of the best institutions kind of get that Uh, there's lots in the external environment to encourage it the emergence of global challenges uh, fund um, the promised structures around UCRI. we wait to see what will be in the next ref from lord stern in respect of uh, potential broadening of some of the definitions around impact in the next ref exercise lots of these things can actually help uh, to achieve this leap but at the end of the day uh, we have to do this stuff because it matters substantively irrespective of all of these uh, rules and and, and regimes that we uh, uh, operate within uh, because that's uh, one of the things we're here to do as academics who want to have a meaningful impact on the world Fantastic. So you, cry uh, the acronym is uh, the UK Research and Innovation,
0: which is uh, going to be the new name for what are currently the research councils who distribute most of the research funding in the UK. Um, I really like this this point that you made earlier on in in your presentation to ARMA here uh, about the the co-production of knowledge. And uh, you also looked at the flip side of that and and some of the threats to that. Mm. Um, uh, And I wonder if you can tell us a bit more about uh, what your your fears are, but also your hopes for
2: the the future of research impact along those lines. Sure. Well, co-production, of course, isn't isn't anything new. We've had a uh, uh, long-running set of debates, there's a rich uh, academic and practitioner literature on on co-produced research Um, I think in terms of of where we are now the changes we're seeing in the research funding and research policy architecture and and landscape, uh, it's very important to recognise both the importance of co-production as we've been saying but also the need to uh, invest meaningfully in uh, partnerships uh, that uh, that yield those rich interactions and can and can uh, inform research agendas at the design stage. And the point I highlighted in my talk today was that it's actually got quite difficult in the existing research funding system to uh, bring in different sorts of partners to projects, you know, non-traditional, in inverted commas, I mean, even the language is designed to sort of create barriers and boundaries Um, and I think that's something that will need to be addressed if the the, the rhetoric, the aspiration around uh, inter-multi-disciplinary research around challenge-oriented outcome-oriented research if that that ambition is to be delivered we need to find ways of actually supporting and uh, uh, sustaining relationships so to give a very concrete example when I started out in research in the late 90s uh, in early two thousands, I, I worked in various think tanks. I spent a long time at, at the think tank Demos, and I used to get funding from the ESRC working with academics uh, in projects that you know we would now call co-produ. I don't think we did call them co-production to get back at that point, but they were essentially co-produced research projects uh, and, and research agendas. Uh, and 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 the model allowed think tanks as civil society participants to be uh, to receive a, a modest but meaningful portion of, of funding that's got much more difficult to do uh, and uh, uh, if we want to bring civil society partners in even if we want to bring public sector partners in in these straightened times we need to think harder about what's required to uh, support fund sustain their involvement Hello, my
3: name is Jenny De La Salle. I'm a freelance information professional and former librarian from the University of Warwick originally.
0: So Jenny, for for you, from from where, where you're sitting, what is the future of research impact?
3: So I think using the online environment and becoming a digital academic is really important. So having that presence in the digital space and looking after it and maintaining it and uh, doing things in a different way. So scholarly communication traditionally has been all about creating your journal article and communicating directly with other academics using that very academic language. And I think there's now an increasing recognition of the need to translate some of that research into the kind of language that the practitioners would understand in order Order to have impact. So, yes, your scholarly communication can be a, through your journal articles, but maybe you need to have an extra layer on top of that some tweets, some blog posts, some other kinds of articles that you would produce about your research, maybe referencing your academic paper for people who want to read it. And I think one of the things that would be really important with your academic papers then is to make sure that they're open access so that people will be able to actually read the full article and the original research and understand that fully when they've read something that's a little bit of a teaser that takes them
1: to it. Very
0: good. So you work with Pyrus, how does Pyrus help researchers become that digital academic?
3: So we've got a, a lot of material on our blog and on our website that is guide material offering tips and advice to researchers and I can particularly recommend the digital identity health check uh, which takes researchers through the things that they can look at about themselves, what, what's out there online already about them and how can they improve their profile online. Uh, we, we tweet quite a lot using the hashtag digitalacademic so that's one to watch for, for tips and uh on the blog itself you have the opportunity to be a guest blogger so that's one way you can promote your research uh, more broadly and get a feel for what it what it's like to blog about your research i think guest blogging is really a good way forward for achieving impact for academics maintaining your own blog can take a lot of time but piggybacking on someone else's audience through guest blogging is an ideal way to get a footstep foothold into blogging.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I've done that myself. In fact, I've logged uh, on Pyrus myself. so, uh, So absolutely.
3: I think there's an opportunity for researchers to think about how they want to communicate their research to other scholars, to other academics. And there are the traditional journals that are now online and open access and moving towards the more innovative models. But there are, of course, the innovative journals. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for researchers to investigate different ways of communicating their research to each other in the digital space.
0: I think one of the things, that interests me about uh, Pyrus, I have to confess I didn't realize this uh, until the the conference here today. Uh, This goes far beyond just blogging, social media uh, and helping uh, academics become that digital academic Uh, and one of the the key things that this as a platform is doing is is actually trying to, to matchmake uh, researchers with people out there in the real world who have knowledge that they can apply in their industry in policy in practice or whatever it is um so so fiona you're uh, director of of pyrus tell us a little bit more about uh, this side of of the work that you're doing i'm not sure if, if everyone is, is aware of that
4: Yeah, sure, it's a very recent innovation, but something that we've been considering for quite some time, this gap that sits between the expertise that's needing to be visible, the stuff that Jen talked about, about being the digital academic and managing your personal and professional reputation in the digital space. And then the people who are trying to access that expertise, but are not wanting the same relationship that they have where they're funding research. They're wanting to purchase into that expertise and apply it into real world situations. A very different relationship to the kind of funder-researcher relationships that we often think about when we're thinking about impact. So we were really keen to... um, Get these worlds closer together um, by brokering those relationships, using people to help access that expertise and get it out there into government, into public organisations, into the third sector. And of course, this creates the the pathway to impact that you know is really important, much more important now and in the future um, in relation to to developing the impact agenda. Um, we also know that many more researchers have um, portfolio and entrepreneurial careers where they may be balancing a number of different types of activities um, that this sort of work will actually fit really well into into that kind of um, what we often see as a traditional academic role alongside that they could be doing this type of consultancy work The small pieces that we are looking at, we're not looking at the big contracts um, that universities would be chasing, we're looking at the smaller pieces of work. In a policy environment which is becoming increasingly agile, there's multiple small inputs that need to go into that sort of policy work. And we know that talking to the people in the policy context, that they're really wanting to access that expertise. But how do they do that? How do they find um, people in universities which are traditionally seen as very opaque from the outside? So this is what we're doing. We're opening up that expertise. We're going to help equip um, researchers to be able to undertake that type of work and understand the different relationship that they would have with the person... um, who seeks that um, expertise and we recognise that while this might, might not in, initially lead to impact in the traditional sense of the word, that these small steps, the small assignments develop the networks, develop the visibility and reputation of these individuals, which then means they can um, move towards the full impact side of things that we more commonly think about.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that um, that especially when you have a a big piece of research funding and you're doing that that fundamental underpinning research, Uh, if you can have a, a series of smaller consultancy projects running alongside that that are explicitly linked to the methods that you're developing in that work and and perhaps building off some of those findings and applying them in the particular operational context of that policy environment or business or, or whatever it is, it can be a really powerful way of... Uh, enabling you to have impact at a level you wouldn't otherwise be able to have. Certainly in my experience, uh, as soon as you are now actually a consultant working with government, now uh, this isn't you trying to find someone somewhere who is interested. You've got a captive audience who are paying for this stuff and he will be putting it right into the heart of the policy making process. Um, and at the same time, I think the other great thing is that uh, you can then use that uh, consultancy money to actually pay for additional help and staff and you know, getting PhD students to review some of that literature for you. It enables you as an academic to be that bit more agile and entrepreneurial in your approach to research, so you can actually squeeze this stuff in quite, quite efficiently. Um, do you have any, any, any examples? Can you, can you give us a, a, a flavour of, of, uh, of, of any particular uh, project that, that has been funded through the Pyrus? Model. So
4: we've had some examples of activity that with the Department for Education where they were looking for particular input and advice around a curriculum issue, um, which I won't go into the specifics of exactly what that was for obvious reasons. Um, and, you know, actually what they wanted was not a written um, document telling them the advice. They wanted to speak to someone. It was a very, you know, quick input that was required f- for that. So that was actually a conversation that expertise was needed really quite quickly. We also have examples of ministerial um, correspondence where they're needing to check and make sure that they're giving the correct evidence-based information back into these responses. So it's that kind of thing that we're seeing is coming out much more quickly. And I think the issue for the policy makers is they tend to go back to the same people that they ask over and over again. Um, because they trust them and they've built those relationships. Just as you mentioned, Mark, you know, they, they 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 have people that understand the context, they understand the culture, they understand that um things sometimes will get ignored um, you know, in terms of you know, they will give the advice but it might not get implemented. And also that um you know the evidence that's provided by an academic will be one of multiple inputs into a policy decision. So yeah, so we've had some live live um, issues there that we've we've been matching expertise that we've got from the talent pool within Pyrus and the wider Jobs. Ac. Uk um, environment, and um, we're 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 using that to to match that to to um, the, these client needs.
0: Yeah, just to be clear, jobs.ac.uk and Pyrus. What's the relationship?
4: Um, we we are sister services. Um or that's the big brother, I'm not sure which gender we're going down here, but um, jobsac and pyres.ac.uk, where we are sister services. Um, And we sit within this whole, you know, kind of looking at the career of the academic and taking care of that full life cycle of of the academic. Um, So not just looking at how they apply for a job, which might be the thing that we traditionally think about with jobs.ac.uk, but actually how they um, develop their career, the advice that they get and and recognising that 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 traditional view of an academic going into a permanent contract and and producing research outputs has gone that it is about portfolio careers, entrepreneurial careers um, and looking for other opportunities beyond academia.
0: So that's a a fairly radical uh, view of the the future of research impact uh, if uh, the reality is, uh, sadly, that uh, finding a permanent job as a a researcher is an increasingly challenging thing to do. Uh, But rather than seeing that as a challenge, to what extent could we actually reformulate that in our minds as an opportunity to just be that bit more entrepreneurial about our approach to research? Um, I think that a lot of researchers look down their noses at consultancy, and uh, ultimately our job is to generate new knowledge, and consultancy is about the application of existing knowledge. But I think that there really is a fantastic opportunity when you can combine the two where you're generating that new knowledge, but then through consultancy work it is then giving you the, the opportunity to apply that new knowledge in different contexts uh, in a way that, that can then help you to achieve impact. Uh, and so. As we look to the future of, of Research Impacts, um, taking what, what, what you said, um, Jen, uh, and what you said, uh, Fiona, I think we're looking into a future which is going to be increasingly uh, networked and, and online Uh, and where uh, academics are are increasingly entrepreneurial and using those online networks to uh, show what they can do, uh, to make their knowledge available, but also their skills available, uh, so that in this, uh, at least current and increasingly in future, uh, in, in this policy environment where there is much less money around, much smaller chunks of money, uh, and where we're increasingly seeing policy being co-produced uh, between uh, many different actors in the policy community, including uh, experts uh, from academia. Uh, I think this is potentially a, a radically new way of working that uh, that can open many doors for researchers who want to work in that more net- networked entrepreneurial way. So, Jen, a final thought.
3: I just wanted to say that for anyone who's a little bit unsure about becoming an entrepreneur and a little bit... thinking about how do I become a Pyrus Associate and to do this kind of academic consultancy work we have got a guide on the website about becoming a Pyrus Associate which takes you through some of those early steps about what it takes to to do this more kind of entrepreneurial work and to to work as an academic consultant and also on the blog we have a lot of people who've done it who offer their experience through the guest blog posts so a lot of material there to help people on their way.
0: So I'll be putting a link uh, in the show notes to the work that you guys are doing. Uh, For those of you who want to look right now, this is www.piirus.ac.uk. Jen, Fiona, thank you very much indeed for your help today. It's been good. Okay, so the conference is now over and I have found myself a side room uh, to reflect on Uh, what it is that uh, I think that uh, we can learn from the people who I've interviewed in this episode. Um, I think for for me uh, what is quite encouraging is that uh, I'm really seeing uh, concerns now uh, arising about the the, the danger of academics just treating impact as another box to tick uh, and the, the, the various Extrinsic motivations that may actually lead uh, academics to pursue impact in ways that lead to unintended consequences. And I think that what gives me hope is that this is being spotted now uh, before too much damage can be done. And people uh, as a community are now really grappling with how can we get to the heart of this agenda and prevent uh, these unintended consequences from happening. Uh, I think that one of the the key answers to this which is emerging is this whole concept of knowledge co-production, the idea that uh, we can actually jointly come up with new ideas as equals in collaboration with the people who need those new ideas to answer problems or develop new products or whatever it is that they're they're trying to do. Um, We've left knowledge transfer behind us long, long ago. Um, We're going now beyond even knowledge exchange and increasingly increasingly this is a narrative which is about that co-production, that real team working to come up with these ideas. I think that the uh, the exhibition uh, showed a, a real pro- proliferation of uh, metrics. many competing platforms now uh, who are vying for our attention to say come and put your work on our platform, we will make you uh, more visible than anyone else. And, In some ways, I feel really encouraged that there is now such an attention to academics' digital footprints and making their work as visible and accessible as possible uh, online. Uh, I think that some of these platforms are perhaps a a little more mature than others in their approach. Uh, I do have some concerns about this this idea that we can boil uh, the impact of a paper down to a single number, Um, At best, um, if that number is in any way uh, right, if such a number can be right, uh, or or is representative of uh, a paper's impact, really, it's just the academic impact, uh, citations, and how much it is being talked about and discussed on various different platforms. And this isn't really the kind of impact that uh, we're, we're generally talking about if we want to actually change the outside world. Um, now, no, that's not to dismiss altmetrics, of course. I think that uh, these can be uh, really valuable indications to us that hey we've got an article out there that's doing well there's something going on here Um, uh, let's go and now ask the question uh, of these people why are you talking about this paper Uh, in what terms is this paper being talked about Uh, and perhaps uh, in those conversations may lie uh, some clues as to how we may then uh, actually pursue offline impacts in the real world uh, finally, then um, building on this, uh, the, the idea of the digital academic that um, the people I uh, interviewed from Kairos last of all uh, talked about um, is is really powerful because. Uh, This isn't just about having a digital footprint that is respectable and credible and findable. Increasingly this is about actually being proactive uh, with our digital footprint and getting it out there uh, uh, to the right people in the right way for a clear purpose and social media has real promise if we use it appropriately. But I think uh, what is particularly interesting is the emergence of knowledge brokerage platforms that are accessible to the average uh, academic. Now, uh, yes, in theory, these do exist already in the form of business development officers, business development managers within every university, certainly in the UK. Um, but typically these are much larger projects uh, and certainly for early career researchers um, very often these feel somewhat out of reach, it's quite hard to, to, to get into the relationships and the, the opportunity spaces where, where these, these teams of people typically work and uh, the knowledge brokerage platform that uh, Pyrus have d- developed um, is uh, a way I think now of uh, it, as, as many of these, these digital media are doing, giving power to the people and enabling any researcher to put their, uh, their reputation and their skills out there uh, to then be used by uh, people who want to actually commission research uh, as part of a pathway to impact. Yes we might be better supported than we had ever been before but there are more opportunities out there than ever before and I believe that the more entrepreneurial we can be as researchers the more likely we are to actually make the opportunities that we need if we want to have the impacts that we want to see from our research.